You are now on air. Good morning and welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast Live. It is Monday, the 22nd of October, 2018. This is episode number 49, and I am your host, Edwin Frondozo. The Business Leadership Podcast Live is a live radio call-in show where I speak to business leaders, subject matter experts, and thought leaders to discuss the latest innovations, current events, or best practices that will help you personally and professionally grow. This episode is brought to you by Dell Small Business, empowering Canadian entrepreneurs with the tools, technology, and resources they need to succeed. Super excited today to introduce my co-host. My co-host today is Dr. Richard Nongard. He is an entrepreneur who started his educational services business about, about 25 years ago, and he has leveraged the power of technology to create a global network. He has a doctorate in transformational leadership and is the author of Viral Leadership, Seize the Power of Now to Create Lasting Transformation in Business. Today, we thought the amazing topic that me and him thought would be a great idea is about company culture, culture engagements, and cross-country competencies. Yeah, it's Monday. And uh, so if you are joining us live, feel free to to ask us a question, Richard or myself, you can type it directly into the browser. If you have an amazing story that you'd love to share live on the air, let us know and would be happy to, to have you join us today. Without further ado, Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Edmund. It's, uh, uh, it's good to be here. It is a Monday morning. I got back on a plane from Chicago late last night to Las Vegas, and uh, I was looking forward to this this morning, though. So very good to join you and all of those who are listening live. And Well, no, thank you for taking the time. I know, I know just getting back to work Monday, I mean, this is just sort of our, our lifestyle that we've chosen, so I really appreciate it. I'm really excited to to really just get into it. So why don't we just dive right in, Richard, if you don't mind. Let's dive. And yeah, let's just get let's get into it. Like what how does creating a shared narrative create a company culture? So my favorite business quote of all time is Peter Drucker's quote that uh, strategy or uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And um, every company has a culture. It's um, something that comes about organically. It's something that can be directed or planned, but within every company, whether it's a small office or whether it's a huge multinational organization, there's a culture, a set of beliefs, of values, uh, rituals, um, habits, um, things ranging from relationships within the workplace, um, things ranging from the type of buildings that are used by the business, uh, how they interact with customers, how they perceive the customer. Every company, intentional or not, has a company culture. And and those cultures can either become toxic or contribute to the bottom line. And creating a shared narrative is something that is particularly useful in, in startups or growing businesses mm-hmm. or in businesses who are growing through acquisition, where, where one company uh, buys up another company, which probably has a different culture and to create an integrated and seamless culture that is healthy for both the former company as well as the the new unified company and a shared narrative are just like our our culture in society is formed by the stories that we tell 
And by creating a shared narrative, what we're doing is we're listening to the stories of everybody in an organization as they share their strengths and together create a new narrative for either future goals or for, <coughs> excuse me, uh, or for, you know, coming together during mergers. Right. I, you bring up a couple of good points there, Richard. And I guess th th there's sort of two on the different scale that I, I want to bring up. When you talk about, you know, creating that narrative, that joint narrative, that shared narrative stories within within a startup, what have you seen or what's your experience or examples of probably the best shared narrative that came from a recent startup that, that has a real success story? I have a, a friend who launched a tech startup a few years ago. Um, actually, probably within the last 18 months. And he's mm -hmm. had many successful businesses. Uh, you know, Silicon Valley guy, um, uh, a track record of success. And it, when he came to uh, the new startup, mm -hmm. the uh, his his thought was, I will just do the processes, you know, the same way. Mm -hmm. um, but because it was not the same niche, the same the same niche within the industry, uh, there were different people. Uh, times were different. Money was different. Right. Um, qualifications of employees were different. Tighter labor market now than in the past. Uh, all of these things came to play, and there's a process. And, and what happened was that that they grew, uh, and, and their core group had a lot of disunity. A lot of people working at home rather than coming on site, and there was just a, a sense that things were chaotic. Mm -hmm. so it was a process called appreciative inquiry. This is a process that has been studied at the university uh, level. Case Western University, of course, is probably most well known for uh, for doing research into the ideas and the process of appreciative inquiry. Uh, but it really brings together everybody in a summit uh, where they can all define uh, their strengths and all share their stories. It brings together board members. It brings together stakeholders. It brings together customers. It brings together C-suite leadership, uh, uh, delivery and installation, frontline sales, uh, people from all, uh, every level within an organization. And it has them tell their story, gives a chance to listen to each other. But the thing about appreciative inquiry that sets it apart from any other business that's trying to fix a problem is it does not focus at all on what's wrong. It only pays attention to what's right. And so it creates a shared narrative um, as people identify the strengths that others have within the organization that they can co-collaborate with. And the things that they're doing right in customer service, the things they're doing right in product development, the things they're doing right in, in, uh, uh, in, in, in where and how they meet together. Right. No, that, that that's super interesting. So in terms of your 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 friend who just launched, what was the key learnings for him? Because it, because things have changed, I guess, right, is what you're mentioning. The reason we study leadership and change is not mm -hmm. because we need to make change, but because change is always going to happen. That's right. You know, and some of the key learnings for him. Uh, for him in particular, were that people who might have been good in one position in the previous company are not good in the same position in this company. Right. Um, the, uh, uh, one of the key learnings for him was that outsourcers are 
part of the team and must we know that they're part of the team because we interact with them so often but because they're often on another continent we don't feel that we don't feel like that they're really sharing the vision and by bringing those folks into the process of inquiry um we can get buy-in for the vision even from our outsourced employees i see another another point i want to bring up um in terms of the shared narrative was the fact that you talked about acquisitions, mergers and acquisitions. And for the number of business leaders that I have interviewed and I've spoken to, um, sometimes the large organization, yeah, there's going to be a shared narrative that that goes to market uh, when they when they represented it. But what happens, you know, six months, twelve months, you know, 24 months, does the culture of the large organization typically take over or, uh, I mean, it obviously depends. Everything is different, but it might depend on the scale, right? Yeah. You know, probably the best example of this uh, in recent years, two big mergers most people are familiar with. And that was when United Airlines ate up Continental Airlines. And uh, it didn't go particularly well, and the uh, the, you know the 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 merged company is of course United, and you know people still miss their Continental. I know my my mother who's flying here to come visit me for the Thanksgiving holidays. She's eighty years old. She's going to come visit. She said, she said, well, I wonder what happens when I call Continental. And, and it, it, I said, they, they don't exist anymore, Mom. <laughs> uh, you you, you got to fly on Southwest. It's the only nonstop. Uh, so. Um, the, the, but the more recent one is, uh, is uh, you know, America West, which ate up U.S. Air, uh, mm-hmm. which then ate up American Airlines. And, and a lot of people have a feeling and they miss their American Airlines because it's, it's, it's the management and the culture of uh, U.S. Air or even more specifically America West. And things are different for their loyal flyers. They are different for their employees. And, and, and. Uh, U.S. Air and uh, and American Airlines both had some things really, really right in their culture. Uh, but the problem is the the little fish, the one that gets eaten up, in this case, American Airlines, many of those employees and customers feel like it's not their airline anymore. It's an emotional response. And and so by com- by creating a new narrative, a new culture, uh, a company can really thrive. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And and it's also obviously there's going to be opportunities. Things are going to change, but it's definitely like you said, it's just change. That's the constant. I want to just switch gears with you, Richard. And I know I know you and I uh, we quickly just chatted. But what ideas from Eastern business leadership do you think should be adopted by leaders in the West who want to create sustaining businesses? You know, the I've spent a lot of time in Asia. Um, mm-hmm. I, I speak Chinese, okay, and they have a a, a, a five thousand year history of being the world business leader. Right. Um, we have a two hundred year history of being the world business leader. You know, the, the Great Britain has had you know a couple hundred years, I guess, in there of being the world business leader. Um, and if we look at all the economic reports, what we see is that China, with their you know, nearly two billion people and a, and a well-educated society with many natural resources, are poised, as the predictions are, to become the global economic world leader probably for the next five thousand years. <laughs> so it's interesting that we look at the history of our business and we see you know, companies like Colgate Toothpaste, you know, 
250 years or Hardcourt Brace Collins publishing 200 years. But there are businesses on our planet that have been around for 500 years, 1,000 years, 1,500 years. And there are traditions in business that have been around for, particularly in Asia, for, again, 5,000 years. So if I own a pizza place in Binkelman, Nebraska, or if I'm own a large company or I have a manager or a large company that's doing business with Asia, there's still something to learn. And the things that we can learn are, 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 are how we communicate, how we view competition, how we interact with other people. And there's a, 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 a teacher from, from the uh, Sage Valley region of China called Guiguza. Mm-hmm. And and what's interesting is none of us have ever heard of Gui Guza. No, but uh, but 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 Chinese business leaders know exactly who Gui Guza is, and and he wrote a treatise on uh, on politics and business. This is during the time of the the Silk Road era, where where China was trading merchandise with, uh, of course, uh, the far, the Far East and 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 Europe, right. and and his strategies of communication and business uh, led to, or during the warring states period of China, uh, a, a sustainable peace and, 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 and brought them all together. This is really fascinating stuff. And the principles that he taught um, are, are the principles that are that still govern, uh, in many cases, um, Chinese business. Not all Chinese business comes from that culture or that tradition, but the idea there's two things that I think are real practical for everybody that really come from that. One is, of course, the the, the concept of of guanxi, of, of of building relationships with those who we build business with. In America, we think if we go to a meeting and have a good PowerPoint presentation, they'll make a decision. <laughs> um, but but in Chinese culture, no matter how good your PowerPoint is, they might even pick the person with the worst PowerPoint presentation or the worst price if a relationship has been built, which which really brings us to that core concept of of people buy products and services from people. And 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 this is ingrained in their culture and it's something that, that we can ingrain. The, the other thing that I think is real practical is how we listen to our opponents. So Guiguza in his writings actually says this. This is, of course, a translation because he wrote in ancient Chinese. Right. Um, but, but he said, listen to your opponent as if you are a tongue seeking out the marrow from deep within the bone. Right. What, what, what that's deep. Yeah, that's deep, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> how how often do we try to to tell what we want to without listening? He talks about listening skills and the ability to to really, really, really understand our opponent, because then we have the ability to choose this way or that way, open or close, to 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 create a response, which with a customer is buy, and with a competitor is leave. No, that's amazing. And you mentioned that you've so Richard, you've done some business now for 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 the number of years within China. How have you, I guess, successfully um, created relationships and understanding, you know, not quote unquote opponent to the bone? Right. <laughs> well, the, the way I've done it, you know, I think anytime we interact with people whose experiences are different than ours. We need to take some time to put ourselves within their cultural framework. I mean, this is true whether it's internationally or even within regional differences between – you're in Toronto, aren't you? Correct, yes. 
you know, Toronto and New York City are, I was in Chicago yesterday. Toronto and Chicago are two different cities, but you know the culture is different. I mean, uh, they're, they're close, they're similar cities, but the cultures are different. Uh, and, and, uh, and so we need to put immerse ourselves. Uh, we don't need to be, I don't need to become Chinese in order to do business in China, That's but right. I, I need to, I, I, I need to learn, please, hello, and thank you. And uh, I need to take the time to uh, understand maybe how they conduct meetings or business and all those sorts of things. I do speak Chinese, which I've learned as an adult, not as a kid. Uh, I've been studying Chinese every day for the last three years, and I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm not great, but I, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I know what they're talking about and who they're talking about and why exactly. they're talking about it. And, and, and that, that makes a huge difference. And the way it makes a difference isn't just because it gives me insight, but more specifically, when Chinese uh, uh, business people hear me speak their language, they, they're grateful because they recognize that I have an appreciation for their strengths. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. By the way, we can do that with any culture, even if we share a common language. Right. I got a uh, thanks for uh, for those who are just joining in. We're talking about cultural differences right now. We're specifically talking about the differences between Eastern and Western cultures. Um, but I do got a question. It was about something we were talking about before, Richard. Uh, it's from someone out out on the east coast of Canada. Uh, he's in the final term. It's, this is from Craig. Thank you for the question. He's in the final term of, at the University of New Brunswick, finishing up his BBA. And they've learned about MAs in a multitude of courses. What uh, what do you think is the proper way to introduce a new company's culture? Question mark. But he did mention it is tough and situational. So I guess we will take with a grain of salt. Or uh, in terms of your thoughts on that, uh, I think that that's what the problem is. And oh, it, 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 uh, I think that that's what the problem is. Oh, I think you might have two different browsers open. Oh, I do. That's exactly what happened. Uh, <laughs> I, I closed it off. Uh, sorry about that. Um, technology. It's right. Too much. Too many options. Oh my gosh. On a Monday morning. Um, the, the problem with what was just asked is that so often a company wants to tell the employees what the culture is going to be. Uh, and this is part of creating that shared narrative. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to have employees at every single level co-create the vision. So often the vision statement is something that comes from the C-suite executive meetings. Right. Th 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 then they paint all over the walls and, uh, you know, they put signs up and they, and, and they try to introduce it with a big annual meeting where they say, here's what our vision is. You adopt it. Well, <laughs> that doesn't really work. If you want engaged employees, if you want, uh, if you want employees who, at every level, um, are, are are living the core company values and reaching towards the vision, it must be something that's co-created. And those appreciative inquiry summits are a great way to e elicit involvement and creation at every level from all employees um, in in the shared vision. And and also, I guess I wanted to add, Richard, and maybe get your thoughts. And when it's you know when it is an M and A type situation, and you're really doing a good job getting the thoughts from all the stakeholders, not only from the C suite, but all all the way to the bottom. Is there is there a process that you've seen where it gets revisited after the M and A? What was working? What's not working? Like what was what are some of the best practices when you are doing it properly from the bottom up? 
Yeah. So I think, again, one of the things that we can do is we can break our, te- our, our, our if we're doing appreciative inquiry as a process to help, uh, we can have our teams revisit this in, in team summits on a, on a quarterly basis uh, over the next year to uh, mm-hmm. measure whether or not we've reached our goals and our targets and whether or not our behaviors and our actions uh, are reflecting those things which are most important to us. Um, and, and I think it's perfectly okay to revise the values and to revise the uh, the, the vision. Uh, sometimes we might decide that um, that value didn't really reflect what was most important, and we might choose to change it. I, I think that a, a vision statement and the core company values should can have some flexibility, um, and and by being able to revisit that, uh, just like we would revisit any other metric in business, is, is a real powerful way of creating creating a a dynamic organization, a living, breathing organization. No, oh, 100%. Totally agree with that. Um, thank you for the question, Craig. Really appreciate you tuning in. And if you, anyone else listening live, if you have any questions regarding culture, M&As, or, or really, really the appreciative uh, inquiry, let us know. We could probably get another five, five, eight, ten minutes. We'll see how it goes in terms of in terms of the show. Um, and we are t- really enjoying this time, Richard. Um, I know you mentioned you you quickly mentioned you know just saying hello please and thank yous. So how does that help? You know, learning that in many languages uh, help within sales and even building building a relationship. You know, it was a, a, a an insurance guy. Um, I can't even remember his name. Probably twenty five years ago. And, yeah. Uh, he told me he, he he said we were having lunch together. It was a friend of mine. He says, well, I've been successful in sales. So I got this little trick. I've learned hello, please, and thank you in as many languages as I possibly can. And uh, he was really proud of that. And I thought to myself, well, that's a little weird. I mean, how many people of different languages do you run into? <laughs> uh, and, and, but but for some reason, I took it on a challenge. I'm actually pretty good with language. I'm, I'm a pretty good learner of languages. And so for some reason, I... I I decided I would do the same thing. Hello, please, and thank you in as many languages as possible. And yes. and 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 it's amazing how many people you run into in the daily course of life who speak those languages that you've you've learned. And again, they know you don't speak their language, but 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 they they respond with an appreciation. Uh, you know, particularly you're in Canada, we're in the U.S., and, and I think that there's a real cultural battle in the U.S. about the acceptance of the, we have freedom of speech as long as, you know, they, they, speak, they speak the language we want them to. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. Uh, and, uh, you know, the reality is uh, America is a multilingual country, as Canada is, and, uh, and, and if I want to do business, uh, I need to be inviting to as many people as possible, not closing off people with my rhetoric. No, 100%. And I, it's funny that you brought that up because my wife, she's from, she's from Eastern Europe. She's from Slovakia. But I, I've learned how to say hi, hello, how are you in many languages. Um, but I also wanted to add that cheers, knowing how to cheers and ask for beer is actually even yeah, – if, yeah, yeah. if you're going to go to level two. Uh, right, right, right. 
yeah. I mean, that's amazing, actually. It, what's interesting is the Pimsler language learning series, those CDs that were often sold in the past. That no matter what language you buy, it has the same script. And, and like the first three lessons, you learn how to say, I would like two beers, please. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I've listened to a few. So I, can, you know, I can ask for two beers in, in multiple languages, which is funny because I have not had a drink since March 31st of 1988. Well, good James, for you. James Brady was Ronald Reagan's press secretary. <laughs> I had a beer, but I can actually ask for two beers in a lot of languages. Amazing. That's and and it is very important because whether you drink, and I'm not advocating I'm not advocating whether you drink or not, but it is in many cultures, I'm sure you saw this, Richard, that many things happen around a drink or food. And really understanding even, you know, like bon appetit is like right. is, is 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 important, right? So these are all these cultural Absolutely. differences and nuances that you could learn. Yeah, the food things are important, you know, and, and you're right. Uh, even though I don't drink uh, beer, um, many times I'm with people who are choosing to drink beer and being able to celebrate with them is something that, that they enjoy. And so, uh, you know, I have no problem going to the bar and being their waiter and picking up their beer and bringing them back to the table for them. We're asking them what they want and then just placing my order, which is always for uh, for a water. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty healthy guy, so water's good enough for me. That's usually what I drink when I'm out. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did run into this when I was in Eastern Europe where, of course, uh, I was in, I was in Russia and the, uh, you know, the, the focus of the dinner was on the honored guest, which happened to be me. And, uh, and um, the, the, old gentleman wanted to share his best vodka and uh, he, he couldn't wrap his head around the fact that I wasn't going to drink his vodka <laughs> and, and was almost offended, but I, I'm pretty good at negotiation. So I, I negotiated that we would, we would share our toast and my water looked a lot like their vodka and everything would go over just fine. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure, and and I get that as well. When I go to Slovakia, as soon as you get there, you know right. they they have they they have their pair uh, their their pair alcohol, and it, and it's just like welcome, and then it just it just starts, and it's a good time. If you're just joining us live, um, or even listening on the replay, what we're talking about is you know different cultures. You know how how to be successful, whether it's through like M and As and and you know joining cultures of two companies, or even cultural differences between countries um definitely let us know if you have any last questions if you're joining live but feel free if the, if you are listening on the replay to shoot me a message or or dr richard would be happy to to answer the questions i mean i'm i'm enjoying this conversation sure sure you know, one of the things i encourage people to do to build their business cultural skills is simply to travel a little bit yeah um you know that people don't realize how cheap it is to travel so yesterday i went from chicago to vegas that cost me about 450 bucks for my ticket um and uh i can buy a ticket from here to beijing for 450 bucks uh people don't realize it's, it's literally that cheap uh, but it's the same cost for me to go to Chicago or just go to Beijing. So uh, a few months back, I, I, I was shocked. The air freight was 458 bucks round trip to Beijing. It was on American Airlines, and and I had an upgrade to business class. So you know, I had some EVIPs from traveling too much the previous year, and so I, I thought, wow, for 450 bucks, I can fly first class to Beijing, uh, and so I did. And uh, I spent you know just a couple of days there, and you know walked around and 
you know, got more air miles towards the next year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, kind of a mileage run, I guess. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the cool thing about it though is that I was all in for a three or four day trip to Beijing, including my stay at the DoubleTree Hotel, and you know, wandering around some of the tourist sites for less than a thousand bucks. I have to eat anyway, so it doesn't matter if I buy my dinner in Vienna, or if I buy my dinner in Argentina, or if I buy my dinner in uh, in uh, in Beijing, or if I buy my dinner here in Las Vegas. So get out and travel. And I, I have some good, I grew up in Chicago. So I had a good friend from high school. I went to lunch with this weekend. I said, well, come to Vegas. He said, well, maybe we can plan that next year. And I thought to myself, wow, this is such a different way of thinking. I would never worry about my plans for next year. I'd be checking airfare for next week because two or three days to anywhere in the world is inexpensive and easy to do. You know, and you know what I was thinking about, Richard, as you, as you said that up in here in Canada, we, it's definitely the same 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 thing we could think about we could get to asia fairly fairly the same price as going to europe but the crazy thing is in canada we don't have all these because the mergers of the airlines happened maybe 20 years ago so it's sort of like there's only two players and for us in toronto to get to to vancouver on the other side of the coast sometimes it's more expensive than getting to europe if we which just blows my mind that's for me i'm okay my my family i have family in europe so it's i'll go there all day but but it, it, it is something to think about if you're listening, you know, um, I don't you know. Have to, you have to be a little creative too. If you are on a tight budget, let's just say you can't spring for the $500 ticket, but you could do a $250 ticket. Well, in your case, you know, you drive to Detroit and you fly to Bellingham, Washington. That's you right. Get from Toronto to Vancouver, but you do it on a, uh, uh, on a different way. I mean, and, and the great thing is now we can just go to google.com backslash flights and we can check out whole regions of the world and just pick the cheapest place to go to. It's the best. I mean, you could, you, you literally need those. I'm sure you've done this, Richard, or you've seen his visualizations where you just spin the globe yep. and let it, let it stop. And you know, only if you had like, okay, I have $500, but you let, you let it spin and wherever it stops, that's where your ticket is going, buddy. <laughs> that would be amazing. I would use that. Um, I guess before we end, Richard, it's been a blast. Any final tips that you could share with the listeners out there with when it comes either to cultural about your business or travel or anything you'd like to share share with everyone today? Yeah, I think really the key to effective businesses is listening, but listening with the intention of taking action on what you hear and to support other people. Um, cross-cultural engagement isn't about me becoming like them you know i i am what i am my background is my background my race is my race my ethnicity is my ethnicity my religion is my religion that, that's not going to change mm-hmm. um but if i want to do business with people who are not like me uh, i need to have respect for them i need to listen to them uh, and i need to spend time with them uh, even if i don't agree with them sometimes uh, because it 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 lets me um create i i think a a, a a bigger network uh, in a company situation where we're dealing with the culture of a corporation and a company, we need to have those appreciative inquiry summits. One of the things that I do is I work with companies to help them to merge cultures during mergers and acquisitions, or I work with them as they're going through a high growth period to step into a new culture by using processes like appreciative inquiry. And these are always successful outcomes. And it's fantastic to be able to share those resources, but to encourage people to learn about appreciative inquiry. If, if you're in a company that's changing, um, 
learn about appreciative inquiry. Go to Google, find out about it, buy some books. Uh, my book, Viral Leadership, Seize the Power of Now to Create Lasting Transformation in Business. Uh, Chris Nassetta, who's the current CEO of Hilton, wrote a blurb for the front cover. So I guess he liked the book. Uh, Randy Dobbs, who's the former CEO of General Electric uh, Capital, uh, wrote the forward to the book. And, um, and, and I think that they got behind the project because the ideas are practical and they will help any size business, small or large, uh, to create lasting transformation by engaging teams and, and creating a great culture. That's awesome. I actually just posted the, the Amazon link uh, to, your, to your book on, yeah. onto the browser right now, Richard. So thank you for that. It's an audio version now. And of course, people can get that uh, info on my website. Also, either Amazon or viralleadership.com is my website. Awesome. Viralleadership.com. And if you could share anything else or where else we could find more information about you, obviously viral, viral, viralleadership.com or anything you want to share with us. Yeah, you know, viralleadership.com is the, is, is the starting point. It's, uh, at the bottom of the page, there's actually a, 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 an ebook titled Community Culture and Identity that I created that people can have access to. It's right there at the bottom of the page at viralleadership.com. Uh, but become my Twitter friend, nonguard1 or at nonguard1, N O N G A R. D one. Uh, I've been using Twitter a lot more lately. Uh, I guess I'm 10 years behind the times. Um, I started my account 10 years ago and I've barely used it over the years, but I've been spending a lot more time on Twitter and it's a great place to connect. And I love answering questions. So anybody who has any questions, I'll share if they just send it to me. That's awesome. Well, Richard, thank you again for joining us today on the business leadership podcast. We definitely should keep in touch. I'm on Twitter as well. Anyone listening, be sure to follow Richard on Twitter and, uh, and and myself as well. But again, I'm really um, appreciative, really thankful for your time today. Thank you, uh, Edwin, and thank you to all of the listeners and uh, those who have taken the time to ask some questions. Awesome. Well, you have a fantastic day in Las Vegas, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye now. This uh, This is the Business Leadership podcast live it's an almost daily show so be sure to catch us every monday wednesday and friday again if you haven't done so yet please be sure to check out my podcast it's called the business leadership podcast where i sit down with business leaders to discuss their personal journey and experience of business leadership new episode drops every tuesday you could catch catch it on spotify iHeartRadio, radio itunes or wherever you listen to your podcast but that's a wrap everybody Happy Monday. Have a fantastic week. Edwin signing off.